And we're back! This is G.I. Joburg episode number 63. My name is Steven and I'm joined by my colleagues, Paul! Robert! Has the money been deposited to my Swiss bank account? Affirmative! <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. If the, if the check cleared, then I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> our hired gun, our mercenary from the North Americas. It's Kuja. And we are finally back in business. It's been... Uh, very long wait, but we're back and we're ready for some more on-topic G.I. Joeberg action. Yes, we spoke a little bit about Star Wars in our last episode. Quite a little bit, quite a lot in fact. Uh, that was a, a mammoth uh, episode to plow through. But if you've made it through and come out clean on the other side, we're back with G.I. Joe and G.I. Joe only. Tonight is our special missions choose your own adventure episode. On the back of our rundown of our favorite and least favorite special missions, we thought, hey, wouldn't it be interesting to try and string together our own special missions adventure? But with a twist. In the style of a choose-your-own-adventure novel. So, we have several options for the other members of the G.I. Joe Book podcast to select from. And judging by which options they select, different outcomes may be achieved. So hopefully you guys can join us for a little bit of G.I. Joe adventure in the style of special missions. As you can hear from my voice, I'm pretty excited about it. But let's get back to an old segment, uh, one that we always like to do at the beginning of a podcast, because this is about toys at the end of the day. If you happen to have any new stuff floating around, or it could be very old stuff that is new to you, Talk about it, boys. Anybody got any new, new toys they wanted to bring into discussion? I cannot for the life of me remember if I've managed to brag to everybody about my Oar Striker yet. <laughs> or my Foe Striker. I don't know no, if we... No, we, we haven't, haven't podcasted in the, since, since you've received your <laughs> FOE Striker. Yeah, so I got my FOE Striker. It's amazing. I think it's the best variant of the Oar Striker that you can get. Um, it uh, it has... It's, to me, it ticks all the boxes. It's a fun little buggy... It's got uh, two seats in the front. It's got a little standing position at the back for a gunner. It's really well put together. It still has some of the old school charm with the removable engine cover uh, with the, and the removable engine block. Um, it has these swivel wheels. It's got these cool little clear lights that have been popped on. With um, Very similar to Transformers action figures where the back of the lights, there's a small square. So if there's any light, it kind of has this sort of faux illumination. I agree, man. It's it's the best of both. And also, it's in a tan color scheme, which makes so much sense for the All-Striker mold. Agree. Yeah, it's super sexy. I love this toy. And I love the fact that you can set it up as a sort of temporary command station. You know, you could... Because it's got a, a rollout top kind of situation that it's got. And you can pull that out and you can have... A nice little, like, sort of lounging spot for your Joes to talk mission, you know, details or, you know, just to take some R&R in the middle of a long recon mission or whatever. But it's there and uh, it's a great feature and it works really well. All of the parts fit onto the Foe Striker in, a, in an aesthetically pleasing and functional manner. If any of you guys are wondering and you haven't bought one yet, it does pass the fun to roll around and play with test. You know, you can push it up and down. Uh, passages and it's just it's just a great little toy i mean you can take it outside and the wheels tend to have like a sort of a locking feature as well for the turning it's not super like enforced but it works really it works kind of well so it's, when you're pushing it forward the 
vehicle doesn't just decide to snap right or snap left, which it kind of makes it cool for a toy, especially if you're going to be giving it to a kid or whatever. So uh, you're saying the front steerable wheels, they have a bit of resistance. Yeah, they're not floppy. It's a great feature. It's definitely, as you mentioned, the best of both worlds. And if you haven't got one, get one. Is it yeah, a two-seater? Is it, it a two-seater? It is a two-seater. It's a two-seater. And it's got these great little um, gun mounts on it. Uh, like these, It's like these little swing arms, these little swivel arms that are by the driver and passenger seat. And uh, a lot of Joe weapons have pegs that go into tripod stands. And those swivel arms are actually compatible with that. So you can put Roadblock's big machine gun in there. You can put Roadblock's most recent big machine gun in there. Um, amongst others. Uh, so, you know, have fun trying that out. I, I, I can't remember exactly which ones worked, but I did have a lot of fun pulling out all my Joe uh, weapons and, and testing them and seeing which worked best and which was fun to play with. Um, so that's a great feature because, you know, you can kind of ride, with, you can have the, the wheel in one hand and the gun in the other as you, you know, shooting at Cobra. So it's a great toy. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, small warning, uh, if you're buying that set, and one of the perks to getting that set is Chuckles. Well, everything about Chuckles is awesome except for his face. Uh, I don't know. I know that I sent the team pictures uh, when I got the, the actual figure, when I did the unboxing. Chuckles, his face is very, very badly done. They painted it terribly. The type of sculpt that they used I, I don't understand the logic behind that sculpt I don't know why they just didn't uh, repurpose the convention gray chuckles or why they just didn't use the old chuckles head because frankly I thought those were good enough or um, this new one is I don't know he just looks like a like an accountant so this may very well be my first fix up the face project and then when I feel confident with that I'll fix up Lady J's face because oh my god um, the the accompanying vehicle that comes in the set is the Disco Snowcat. I think the, they call it the Basilisk, the Cobra Basilisk. Um, whichever way you dress it, it is a Snowcat in a different color scheme. Uh, there is absolutely nothing done to it aside from the Wild and Disco Trans Party. <clears throat> These toys sound amazing. Well, the FOE Striker is a definite winner. That is the kind of the swan song of officially released G.I. Joe toys. Yeah, that kind of formed part of the, the 50th anniversary, I believe. I'm going to string together three terms and tell me what comes to mind. G.I. Joe Collectors Club Pythona figure. I don't know about that. You see that big, I have to assume it's, a wire thing that you can wrap around her, that her little pet. Doesn't she have an open hand? That's what I was like, oh, why? She she has a hand that could, could easily wrap around a, a hilt or something long and slender. It's it's but I mean Yeah. The character design is uh I guess that's what she looked like, huh? Mm-hmm. Gloopy. If the Pythona figure has those hand sculpted hands that look like that, I think that's a winner. And any figure in my book that has uh, soft goods, also a winner. I must admit that with the Pythona figure, my only regrets, apart from the fact that she only comes with one accessory, is that they don't have a swappable head. Because when she's wearing that hood, 
her hair is going to get in the way. I mean, like, maybe maybe the hair is removable. Because I would like to have a Pythona completely hooded. Perhaps even an alternate head that is just completely black and has just the, the sort of serpentine eyes. That'd be awesome. That... Those are those flowers that she throws. I would love that too. Starflies. I was going to say the same thing. Starflies. Yeah. Those are starflies, brother. Um, is, is that thing basically a Yoda to put on her back, that green thing? No, she uses that to to ensnare uh, Crimson Guardsmen, I think. Oh, they she, wrap she, around their she, mask. Type she thing? throws it. Yeah, she throws it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I I currently have my internet down, but that does that is that green thing the same thing that they packed with the Nemesis Enforcer uh, that they did a few years back? Uh, it seems like it has some wires in it, maybe that it can wrap around things. It's probably just rubber, but yeah, I think it is from the Nemesis Enforcer. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, though I didn't give that figure much of my attention either. Yeah, she has kind of a lava lamp unitard. That that looks good, dude. <laughs> I think it's accurate enough to the cartoon. Though I would have wanted it looking more gloopy. It looks like just a skin tight unitard. What I would want is for it to look more organic and less like just a less like a paint deco, but then I'm asking for too much. I'm asking for actual sculpted detail. What they've just done is made it like a, a you know, 80s unitard. We live no. in the age of yoga pants, brother. But well, exactly. She's, she's going to do a, go. a massive retreat. Or probably trans-party. Yeah, she's uh, like very trans-party. Burning Man. Like, actually, it's just body paint. Yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no camel toe. <laughs> she's no, all smooth I, down there like a snake I think it, uh, they should have gone full retard with it and given her sort of a burnt skin kind of look and then painted over it with that kind of gloopy texture you know given her an alien skin texture because Pythona owns that she is that so why hold back but I understand the budget considerations and things. And also, it's it's truer to the cartoon. I mean, she was animated in two dimensions, man. Any of these conjectures that we have about the texture of her skin, it's uh, it's a moot point. Like, we have no idea. This is what she looks like in the cartoon or the film, so this is what we're getting. People yeah. would be up in arms if we got a, a hyper-realistic reimagining of what Pythona should look like. You know, no, I get scaly that. Scaly and gloopy and nasty. I think for me, it's just like a lot of detail in cartoons is inferred. You see it and you understand there's a limitation of the medium and you, you kind of let your imagination add to it. But, hey, you know, everybody's different. I think a true question for a collector would be, who is Pythona's uh, love interest going to be among your other action figures when you're playing <laughs> with her? That's a question <laughs> worth posing. Well, she got kind of kinky with Jinx in the film. Mm. I'm saying mm. she wanted she open. wanted to like gloop her drippy hands all over Jinx. You know what I'm saying wide open. <laughs> and then Jinx, <laughs> Jinx got kinky with the blindfold and then started. Now, that's a question that ass. collectors. That's a question that many lucky collectors of the GI Joe Collectors Club will be asking themselves shortly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because chances are they have a, a red Jinx in their possession, but not an unmasked one. Mm, I've yet to have that iconic. <laughs> Spiky, short-haired Jinx. I don't characters. like those, but the less we are shit out of well, luck. I know Paul, being a huge fan of feminism, would love a uh, Jinx Pythona two-pack. Hey, dude, I would. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I love me some girls, and I'm I would totally get that package. I'll totally get that set. I think we'd all buy that day one, brother. 
the vote. <laughs> Getting back to new shit, uh, it's very trans party. Um, the biggest fault with the Cobra Basilisk, as it's called, um, is that it essentially is a, a repaint of the Snowcat, and and there are no bells or whistles added to it. It literally has uh, blue and orange, or blue and red, as a color scheme. Uh, with uh, uh, all manner of Cobra de- uh, decals, and that is now supposed to set it aside as a de facto Cobra vehicle, which has all of this lore behind it, and I'm not feeling that at all. And if you, dear listener, haven't yet gotten yourself a Snowcat, firstly, why? And secondly, this would probably be the cheapest gateway drug into getting a Snowcat, uh, because it's the based, obviously, on the modern era sculpt, so it's got enough uh, floor space for your modern era figures to fit in there and it's actually a great toy i mean the toy is amazing for those guys out there who love customizing you know this might be a cheap option for you i don't know but i can guarantee that you're going to find tons of these on the bay and i don't imagine they're going to be very expensive so if you're dying to do your next amazing snowcat custom well there's your snowcat yeah good luck getting past the red tinted visors yeah that is definitely something that needs to be worked on don't get me wrong that's one thing i do like about it uh it kind of harkens back to the his 2 uh which it kind of makes it cool in a weird way but yeah no i don't think this was a smart plan i think there are other vehicles that they could have chosen other cobra vehicles that they could have repurposed i don't think it would have killed them to have redone the rage again i think that would have been better than having what is this the fourth repaint of a snowcat in recent years so you know there's that and we've yet to get the desert cat come on yet to get a desert cat well there you go there's there's a a variant that people would actually dig I, i'm sure they would dig it i would dig that um because it's it just makes sense logically and then lastly uh just in the whole smorgasbord of the snowcat foe striker basilisk conversation um the included figures in the box um I would say one thing that Hasbro is doing right, um, at least by me, uh, is they're shipping a lot of accessories with these guys. Uh, you know, uh, old Chuckles has got a great assortment of weapons, and um, so does the so-called um, uh, Elite Horseman. He's also got a great collection of weapons, pretty much a Frank and Joe. Uh, if you guys have gotten a, a, one of these Elite Horsemen before, I think they released it with the red version of the Crimson Hiss, or the Crimson Hiss that they released. I think uh, you get one of those with that. And I can't remember another instance where they've released him right now. Uh, may I ask how many uh, cell phones Chuckles comes with? <laughs> None. Which is what? so sad. Yeah, he should totally come with a phone, but he doesn't. Uh, yeah, it's uh, sad. Sorry about that. No, nah, it's all good. Um, also, oddly enough on Chuckles... Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, the grey convention version of Chuckles has got great arms. I think he uses the um, he uses a set of Duke arms, but modern Duke arms, so they work really well. This one no, he uses a arms. set of dumbbells. You dumbbell. That's right. Because he's got those great arms, man. Mm. Oh yeah, but you know he he's got to find the vet because these puppies are sick. And there you go. But the new one, <laughs> puppies are, the the, the oh, problem with the new one is. He's got no. Th- he he can't bend his arms, and that's not because his biceps are too big. He's just. Was it was it Stephen that just mentioned the desert cat? Yeah. Well, I I think this, that's a perfect gateway to discuss Stephen's recent foray into the desert as a medic. 
and his new <laughs> appreciation for uh, G.I. Joe medical staff. Gee, didn't I promise we'd be talking about G.I. Joe on this podcast? Dude, well, you, you, you got to give us a taste. you got to give us a taste. Uh, I just wrapped shooting on um, the set of a – well, not the set. We were on location in the desert. That's right. Shooting a National Geographic series, a six-parter called No Man Left Behind. Uh, each episode in the series deals with an instance – where a, a soldier has been, soldiers have been uh, in a situation behind enemy lines or uh, in unfriendly territory or taken captive, and they need to be exfiltrated somehow. My episode dealt with a battle that took place in Afghanistan in 2008 in an area called the Shock Valley, where a group of uh, Green Berets were dropped at the bottom of the valley and had to march up a hill to the top where there was a village uh, where a very high-value target was being located. I mean, this guy was uh, referred to as a tier level zero, which is as high a priority as you're likely to get. Anyway, the really shitty thing about this mission was that all of the special forces pilots were uh, committed to other areas and other actions, so they couldn't get uh, helicopters to drop them off at the top of the mountain because that required pilots with uh, special training so they had to get dropped off the bottom of the valley and hump their way up to the top and of course that is a very unfavorable position to to try and uh, make an assault they were ambushed they very quickly had serious casualties and i played the medic so i was running around uh, tending to wounds and (laughs) basically just doing my best to to make sure no one bleeds out uh, in the actual action, none of the American troops died on that mountain. There were some serious injuries, but everyone got away with their lives. Was it because they had a desert cat? <laughs> a desert cat might have helped, man. <laughs> but, like, the terrain was insane. Like, this shoot, I'd like to think, at least captured some of the, the treachery of the terrain. I mean, as actors, we don't we don't obviously put our lives in, in danger, so tip of the hat to the guys who actually took part in this action for real but at least we had some idea of how murderous it was to try and fight uphill uh, because every single day we were we were marching up with with weapons with uh, loaded backpacks the the crew were marching up with cameras with lights with uh, uh, pyrotechnics explosives squibs you know uh, it was a very fun set, but as I say, quite an arduous one to work on. So, yeah, if only, I, if only I had a desert cat to get me up that hill, but I think that terrain would have perhaps even bested G.I. Joe's finest. The hell you say? Maybe a buzzball could have <laughs> just plowed through the rocks, but uh, a half track would have, yeah, man, thrown the track very easily. Sharp do, rocks, do, man. Do, 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 and do. Like, Sorry about that, Bob. Like a 60-degree incline. <laughs> yeah, what, what uh, channel will that, that drop called. on, do you know? Probably the National Geographic Channel. If you get it, um, and it will be airing in May. But I was anxious to get back from my from my trip to the desert because last week I received something very cool in the mail. There is a guy in Bedford View, Johannesburg, selling off large chunks of his vintage Star Wars collection. And I have never to date bought a original vintage Star Wars vehicle. I have a hole in my collection, and that is a B-Wing Starfighter. This guy had a mint-in-box B-Wing from 1984, 
and I I dropped on it. I got it, it arrived, and it is beautiful. Uh, the sculpt hasn't aged badly at all. In fact, this is the same sculpt that the reissued Vintage Collection uh, B-Wings that were Kmart exclusives, I believe, some years back. Anyway, so this, this ship has been re-released in its exactly the same format, uh, except without the stickers, I believe, and with some added paint effects. But lo and behold, a Vintage B-Wing is beautiful. And part of that beauty comes from the old school style stickers. I didn't think I would enjoy applying them nearly as much as I did, but I lay sprawled out this morning on my carpet with Return of the Jedi playing in the background, and I felt like I was a child on Christmas morning just putting stickers on a minty fresh, as new 1984 original. Which is Isn't as old special? as I am. It is very special. Uh, and everything works, man. Everything works so well. Everything's clean. Everything's pristinely preserved. I mean, I can't believe something this old could look so damn good. Uh, when do they introduce the B-Wing? That is a good question. And so much of the B-Wing uh, footage, I believe, found its way onto the cutting room floor in Jedi. Like, all the, the, the interior cockpit shots of B-Wing pilots and anything that the B-Wings would have been involved in, like, disappeared. Apparently, they took out a Star Destroyer themselves. Like, a B-Wing squadron during oh. the Battle of Endor hit Is that the Star one that Destroyer. crashes the party on the, the Imperial deck? Uh, no. That's an A-Wing, right? That was an out-of-control A-Wing that takes out the bridge of the Executor. And that then gets sucked into the, the, the gravitational pull of the second Death Star. But the B-Wings chipped in uh, quite a fair bit. We just didn't see it. Um, Did you say gravitational pull? Yeah, doesn't the Death Star have some kind of pull? Oh, no, I just never heard it explained like that. That was pretty apt. Why would the Super Star Destroyer uh, start sinking towards the second Death Star otherwise? Wouldn't it just stay stationary? Mm. That works for me. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's it. We could we could bat that around a few times. No, I like no, no, that no. logic. Uh, uh, check this out, though, guys. The battery compartment uh, is uncorroded, and the internals work just fine. And it's, I suppose, a tribute to how technology has progressed. Because now we have digital sound effects inside toys. Back in 84, uh, and even earlier in the 70s, when they, they had the same feature inside the, the original Millennium Falcon, the laser cannon sound effect was created by a very crude electric motor inside the toy, and this is the sound that it produced. Feels right. How is that a laser sound effect? <laughs> In all fairness. This thing is pretty feature-heavy. Uh, you twist one of the booster knobs and the S-foils lock in attack position. Uh, the cockpit is driven by weight, and so as you rotate the ship, the pilot will always stay upright. Oh, that is so cool. It's very I'm fun. I ask if it has that. Of course it does. What you have be to have that. Without it? Yeah, man, and it is a substantial, wait, wait, wait. substantial wait, is toy. Is the B-Wing that thing from the Hidden Empire video game series? The, the B-Wing is say? one of the legendary starfighters in Star Wars. Like, you ask most Star Wars... Um, it has the cockpit that, like, rotates and the arms yeah, that fold down. It's a gigantic flying wing with a cockpit on one end and a cluster oh, of weapons on the other. That's awesome, dude. I, I can see it now. 
Mm, and the seller was kind enough to throw in a free bonus uh, B-wing pilot figure. Oh, uh, that doesn't excite me. Well, it doesn't. It, it's it's not a, a terrific figure at all. And I actually owned this figure, or still do own this figure uh, from way back when. A friend gave it to me uh, with his hand lopped off because he was like, I wanted him to be like Luke Skywalker. <laughs> wow, you wanted him to be like Luke Skywalker in like a whole two scenes. You could have just left his hand intact and like pretended he was Luke Skywalker like in any other part of that film. But okay. You could have just subbed in a bat, tag in a bat. Yeah, exactly, man. If you're going to stretch your imagination to think the B-Wing pilot looks anything like Luke Skywalker, you'll believe anything. That's yeah, right. Because it's a slightly different uniform, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's, uh... it's red yeah. with this goofy-looking yeah. helmet. <laughs> yeah, but hey, man, uh, I'm always I'm always uh, very pleased to accept bonuses like that. So a uh, little cool cherry on top of a very cool purchase. I'm very happy, and uh, uh, I certainly will be uh, checking in with this guy to see if he has any more cool stuff that he wants to let go of. I'm personally in the market for a shuttle Tidarium or Imperial shuttle and a Scout Walker, not the vintage kind. The uh, the, the the modern one, the vintage collection. I mean, the the original Skywalker was not a very accurate representation. They certainly have improved it. Anyway, that's enough about Star Wars. Let's talk GI Joe. Dun 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 dun. Can we discuss the uh, the forthcoming GI Joe convention? Uh, exclusive figures, uh, just a couple of them. Hmm, this would be a good juncture. What's weighing on your mind, Cujo? I don't know. I mean, it, it, the convention sets are always a little more bold or have a theme, so they're easier to follow. But uh, they're, they're doing the GI Joe Sky Patrol. Are you guys looking at these figures right now? I am uh, indeed. <laughs> no, I had a look uh, at them earlier. What's uh, catching Rob, your Rob, eye? The, you got a, you guys on them? Yeah, no, I've seen them. I think they, in general, they look quite cool. I like that they're still producing cool stuff, you know, and they're kind of filling these kind of niches in. Can, can somebody explain why the, the Sky Creeper is in yellow and what appears to be green? Or is that like a real blue, like Cobra Commander V1 blue? No, it's like a green, it's like an, not aqua, what is that, teal? What, uh, somebody with color knowledge yeah, jump it's like in. Yeah, Turquoise. Kind of yeah. Has anybody in Cobra ever worn yellow and green? That's yeah. this. This feels what? Who? There's two. Who? A Sludge Viper. He's called a Sludge Viper. It's, it's yeah, a, but it's, it's not like a classic color. color, though, is it? It's not a yeah, classic it's, color. It's not a classic I mean, color, it's, but it's a typical like ba- a Transformers bad guy color, if you know what I mean. Well, here's uh, an interesting an interesting uh, connection that I or non-connection that I've only thought of now. Sludge Vipers are not. Cobra personnel, and neither is Sky Creeper. These guys are outsourced. The Sludge oh, yeah. Vipers answer directly to Cesspool, and Sky Creeper is a once-off dude. He's a, he's brought in as the Cobra uh, sort of silent insertion expert. I suppose his job is to train the Night Vultures. Uh, I might be completely butchering the, the file card information, but I do know that Sky Creeper is definitely a, an individual. He's not a Cobra standard troop uniform yeah, person. He's not like a snow serpent or something. Well, I mean, he's, I guess... His number one job is to not fall off the glider. 
that, that, that does bring some clarity. I, I wish they'd given him a little more uh, individual like graffiti on his figure or, or you know, print. Because he just looks real generic in this. At this time, maybe I'm looking at an unfinished figure. Oh, it does say final product may be different. So anyway. You're yeah, not going to get too many more details, and I mean that is always going to be the, the lamentable thing about the modern era GI Joe because they're all kind of composites or, or Frank and Joes. Well, nobody else has had that helmet though. Roger that, sir. I mean that that's like Lance Armstrong. So I mean like, <laughs> uh, or I, like I the Cobra I, Glider Expert. Okay. At this time, I'm not feeling adders. I think the one thing that stands out for the set for me is that when the Sky Patrol was originally released, there was Sky Patrol, but there was no Cobra answer to Sky Patrol. It was just Sky Patrol. So like, yeah, yeah I got Joes I can throw in the air, and they come down in parachutes. So I think it's kind of smart that the convention exclusives have kind of pitted the Cobra Glider guys as the sort of opposite to Sky Patrol. I think. Oh, okay. Good points, yeah. man. Good points. Yeah, I think it's sad that we don't get Captain Boomerang. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Skymate. Uh, Skymate, Sky but I mean... Uh, <laughs> no, you got to say it with an accent. Skymate. Sky yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it, it's cool to, to give that subset some bad guys, some villains to fight. So regardless... We, we see uh, you, Collector's Club. Um, Do they and, see and it, us, though? They will. But uh, uh, as far as the Sky Patrol goes, and I, I think we have discussed Sky Patrol in earlier episodes, and I know that I discussed them with some fondness because I, I was privy to messing around with two of the figures. Steve's got some awesome vehicles from that line. Anyway, I'm just happy Static Line looks really awesome because he does. I Best of the bunch. Line. Yeah, he stands out for me as being the coolest figure there. I still have my yeah, definitely my original one. Uh, a bit sad that they didn't try to somehow include those silver parachutes. I think that would have been a nice addition to the set. But then, you know, things have modernized, so giving them these winged backpacks is a great idea. Although those backpacks are very cool, I prefer the one that came with Skydive. I think uh, it was a 2012, 2011 release. That backpack is balls awesome. I love that backpack. The one but that I... springs open when you press the button. Yeah, and it's just got that... Stealth Fighter-esque look to it. I really, really, really love that. But I see that they've given it to some Cobra dude. And uh, I don't know, it's cool. I just uh, I would have liked uh, Joe to have that kind of tech because I think it looks really good on them. But hey, whatever. Unfortunately, it's another convention set that I won't be able to get my hands on. But they're fairly cool looking. They're not bad. Never say never, brother. Hey, if I could get one convention set, only one, I'd get that Tiger Force set that they did. It's amazing. Mm. But it's yeah, in, in order of awesomeness, the Tiger Force, the October God, and the um, Eco Warriors. Operation Iron Bear. Uh, Operation Iron Bear is such an awesome set. I actually, I was on eBay and I was tracking those down and I, I had worked out a whole plan. I was like, I'm going to get these guys. And then I actually had to step back and, and just kind of go, hmm. I'm going to need to eat, and I've got like a lot of more important stuff to sort out, and spending 800 to 1,500 Rand per figure here just to get the figure, get it here, etc., etc., is a little excessive. So I sadly missed on that one. But if you guys have got them, that's awesome, and you should post your photos on our G.I. Joe Book Facebook page, because I'd love to see your figures and be jealous. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough Paul rant. You guys, take over, talk about the coolness of Sky Patrol. Oh, no, it's, I just wanted to kind of 
bring Collectors Club into the conversation for a minute? Yeah, <laughs> I smell ulterior motive. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kirjo. Our brothers from North America, they're always, you know, working angles, man. I'm, oh. I'm a capitalist, brother. Yeah, it happens. we can make it happen for you, man. Damn. I'm just kind of glad that they're not always like reproducing the same figures all the time, that they are trying new stuff. At least they're making figures, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the logic here, it's niche versions of the G.I. Joe toy library, whatever. So it's Sky Patrol, it's Tiger Force, it's Core Warriors, whatever. So you've got those Pythonus, guys. Man. Yeah, and Pythonus. So what's happening is they're doing the right thing in that they're focusing those figures at the niche guys, the guys that are willing to, to get in there and go to conventions. If I was living in the States, I would be at those conventions and I'd have those sets, no question. Regardless if they were the best sets ever or if they were mediocre, I would totally get in on that because I'd love to have those characters. But Thanks uh, for the memories. And it's great. And like Rob said, it's, it's cool that we're not seeing another Snake Eyes and another Cobra Commander and another Duke and Cobra Trooper with Paint Scheme 58. You know what I mean? It's cool that we are seeing out-of-the-box thinking. We're getting things like Annihilators, Frag Vipers. Hey, man, the Collectors Club know what we want. They do. They do know what we want. Because they're us. (laughs) Okay. I think it's time we get into our special missions, choose your own adventure style. And we're going to do it by handing the mic over to my man, Rob. Take it away, Robbie. I think I'm going to switch off the lights in here. As we're getting into special missions mode. (laughs) Okay. Spinning blades cut through the air, propelling the Joes towards the precipice of danger. Thick guides the tomahawk low across choppy Mediterranean waters. Wild bull droning on next to him about rearing cattle. Airborne glances into the cockpit and with a grin chooses to avoid joining the conversation. In the back are Chuckles, Agent Helix, Torpedo and Scoop. Chuckles and Agent Helix are having an animated conversation about spycraft while Scoop tries to talk to Torpedo who's busying himself with checking his weapons. Airborne chuckles and checks his watch. Thumbing his headset, he announces, 20 minutes out. Okay, boys and girl, says Chuckles. We all know the score. U.S. government pencil pushers wet their panties in the beautiful coastal town we're currently flying towards when rebels decided to overthrow the local government. And in their rush to get out of Dodge, they left some important intelligence behind. We gotta get it back. Torpedo's our muscle. Me and Helix are the brains, and Scoop, well... He knows the lay of the land thanks to a previous two-year stint of military media liaison to the U.S. Embassy where we'll find our intelligence. You haven't told us how we're doing this, Scoop says. We'll decide on the moment. I like to play things fast and loose, says Chuckles. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a special mission to me, all right. (laughs) We know nothing. We're just going in there. (laughs) Very special. (laughs) Transport will be waiting for us on the ground, then we'll motor into town. Transport? asked Scoop. I didn't think we had anyone on the ground. The coup happened barely 18 hours ago, and we are rushed to the tarmac out of our bunks. Fast and loose, Scoop. Less questions and more preparing. Why can't you be more like Torpedo? <laughs> mm-hmm. Soon, in a building across from the embassy, a nondescript van parked on the road behind. The intel packet will be in the safe in the main office on the second floor. God, 
They pulled down all the fences, and the gardens are an absolute mess, says Scoop, scoping the embassy, a short two-story building on one of the more prominent boulevards in the higher suburbs of the sloped, hilly seaside town where they find themselves. Lightly guarded, says Helix. This should be easy. Thermal places six inside, two on the door, Torpedo says. When did they get a satellite overhead? Asks Scoop. Okay, Chuckles says. These are the options as I see them. A, me and Helix waltz through the front door, talk away inside. B, we infiltrate the building quietly. Or C, full assault, safety's off. So that's the first call to action. What are they going to do next? How are they going to get this information? Are they going to go through the front door and talk their way in? Are they going to infiltrate it quietly? Or are they going to go full guns blazing? What do you guys think? Okay. Well, they don't know exactly what they're expecting on the other side of that door. So if they just barged in there like, uh, I don't know, I suppose American tourists, they might be met with a rather warm reception. So I'm going to go with the middle option. An infiltration. Yeah, because that way, you know, if you are discovered, well, then you can still go with option C. But by just going in incognito, you're kind of losing two members of your team almost immediately. I don't know. What say you guys? Considering the team that Rob put together, they're light on muscle. If Torpedo's the muscle, I mean, he's got a spear gun. I'm sure he can handle, you know, anything he wants, but just going off the strict essentials, I think you got to go with the lost tourist kind of uh, <laughs> mode. Just knock on the door because Helix <laughs> is kind of a looker and, you know, Chuckles can blend in with any circle. So I, I, I think you've got to go door knocking. Nice. What about you, Paul? Mm, the Paul's going to go with option three. <laughs> Firstly, I, I'm a big fan of infiltration for this one because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the Joes are geared up appropriately and that they don't look like a bad bar joke in the form of, a guy in a frog suit, a girl in skin-tight ninja gear, and a, and a guy in an Hawaiian uh, outfit, you know, and Hawaiian shirt, knock at a door. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I don't think it works out like yeah. that. So I think infiltration is the best score, and I think they're geared for it. I'm correct in assuming that they look yeah, military. No, no, or they're, they're definitely are. Well, Torpedo has a very fetching uh, black and gray wetsuit, <laughs> complete with his fins. <laughs> well, the way that I looked, I mean, maybe I could have described <laughs> flap, 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 more, What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, I'm sure they're very sensibly dressed. Unfortunately, Kujo, you're outvoted, man. Infiltration it is. American well, diplomacy, the... you know. I guess we're going with option B. Torpedo eases an unconscious soldier to the ground at the rear of the embassy and readies his rifle. The rest of the team joins him at the French windows of a small conference room. Security was light and they found their way to the back of the building quite easily. They open the French windows and the Joe sneak inside. Quickly, they make their way up a tight staircase to the second floor. Chuckles eases his head around the door frame, and the corridor is empty, and they pad along the plush carpeting to the former head of the embassy's office where the intel is being kept. It sounds quiet inside. Chuckles eases the door open slowly. Suddenly, bullets pepper the door frame, and Chuckles pulls back, catching a glimpse of a woman pulling a folder out of his wall safe. A man sprawled dead on the floor. Do you like chuckles? The woman says. 
as a window shatters inside the office, and downstairs an explosion goes off. After her. Does she have <laughs> pink hair? Maybe she looks she looked nondescript. I mean, she wouldn't have pink hair in, in that moment. Said too much. So, so our heroes right now are trapped. Basically, they can't go back downstairs and they can't go into the office, right? It they're trapped in the hallway. Way. Okay. Well, they're in the hallway. Okay, there's an explosion downstairs, but before that, a window shattered in the office. Is Scoop kind of just watching things, or is he with the team? No, everyone is together. So they all, okay, they all, okay, okay. One big they all sort of came up, yeah, behind with him. Chuckles is in the lead. I suppose Torpedo was behind him. Agent Helix was in the rear. <laughs> and Scoop <laughs> was in between them. Because they didn't trust him to be in the back. Because obviously he's not... He's not black ops. <laughs> Alright. Okay, so there was explosion downstairs. And Chuckles shouts after her. They rush into the office, which is now empty. And they approach one of the windows, which is broken and shattered. Um, they look down and they see the woman rushing across the courtyard to a waiting jeep outside. The Joes follow and rush across the road to their own van and suddenly the chase is on. The Joes race down a street two blocks behind the retreating jeep. Behind them are several cars, soldiers firing after them as Torpedo returns fire. They're headed for the docks, Helix says. Durana? Scoop shouts. Are you sure? A little busy here, Chuggles says, swerving around a traffic circle. Ahead, the jeep takes a sharp corner. The Joes follow and are greeted by a tank pulling out of an alley. It's turrets swinging in their direction, the jeep getting smaller behind it. Chuckles has moments to decide as he takes in their surroundings. So they're in a, a seaside village. Uh, it's very hilly and there's like slopes and stuff. So they're kind of essentially heading towards I'm, I'm the, the ocean. I'm thinking a Ronin-style chase scene. Yes, kind of like that. So like, so they're racing through the streets, and now Chuckles has to decide which way to go next. Okay, so the first option is they, they go left down a narrow staircase <laughs> in their, their old van, or they go right up an alleyway, obviously sort of taking them a little bit away from where the jeep is heading, uh, or C, they crash through a wood fence, which is kind of next to the, to the tank. So either left, right, or straight ahead. Jeez. Is the wooden fence in front of the tank? Well, the tank is kind of pulled out of a side street, and it hasn't quite blocked off the entire road. So it's come from the left, and on the right of the street, there's a wooden fence. Sort of there's so, a house. So that would be the collateral wooden damage fencing. choice, right? Yes, yeah. So they'd have to kind of, you know, ruin someone's front garden and their, their beautiful People flowers. People spend years on their gardens. Up. People are very no, passionate sure. about their There are probably roses in there, a little old lady inside kind of peering through the window like, what's this noise? That's a tough yeah, choice. Exactly. I mean, she's lost her children. All she has are these, these roses in her garden. God um, damn it. I think you, I think you gotta, you gotta take Chuckles hemorrhoids into consideration and I think you gotta take the stairs. He's got, he's gotta take one for the team. <laughs> 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 nice. I don't know, man. To hell with the the widower and her rose garden. I oh, mean, my God. I'm saying that the clearest path to the pursuit, I mean, they're after whoever was uh, pilfering the intelligence in that office. She's in that true, Jeep. True, true. And it, it could have been they... Hillary's emails, though. So, I mean, it could have been nothing. Well, we don't know. <laughs> 
look, the, the, yeah, they, they need to keep up the pursuit, and this tank is clearly a deterrence, but if they can get past it, there's no way the tank's going to be able to catch them. Of course, it does have a turret, I presume. So Yeah, uh, it was turning towards them as they were racing towards it. Hopefully it can't traverse 180 degrees yeah. quick enough to, uh, to to shoot them from behind. So I'm going to say, put your foot down, Chuckles, and, and plow through the wooden fence. <laughs> Paul, you're the swing vote once again. Oh, shit. Uh, the decisive vote. Unless you go for B, and then I'll, I'll get to choose where we go. <laughs> Is that how it works? I don't know. I mean, I think with three options it's, yeah, and three sneaky, votes. sneaky fox. I should actually have made it two options. It would have been easier. Yeah, I'm also going to go for the more cinematic approach and, and go through the Rose Garden. I think that's going to... I like the visuals. <laughs> I sense oh, a South versus North alliance going on here. Sorry, Kujo. Yeah, I feel no it. No worries, brother. No worries. You, you know, you know that the trip down the stairs cold. would have been at least mildly comical. That's true. Chuckles <laughs> decides to go straight ahead. He puts his foot down on the on the pedal... And the fence crumbles and wood splinters against the front of the van. Roses are destroyed and a, a woman's legacy goes flat. War is hell. <laughs> Up ahead, they, they see the jeep racing away. Da -da -da. But the tank did get off a, a shot, though. It, it probably did take yes. out some uh, some old buildings. <laughs> sure. yes, I want to know who's driving this tank, man. Well, it could be one of the local soldiers, because, I mean, it was a coup in, the, in this country. I mean, they're, they're kind of just taking control. They're probably right. quite gung-ho. Local militia. Okay, so they, they get past the tank, and behind them, several of their pursuers crash into each other and the tank. Sort of, and a huge explosion goes off quite cinematically. Helix shouts, nice. there they are, spotting the jeep, making a left turn up ahead. And the Joes race, race ahead, trying to catch up with them. I've got this, Chuckle says, picking up even more speed. So now they're racing down the hills, they're getting closer to the uh, to the docks. Soon, the Joes zip through a broken fence of the docks, and their van screeches to a halt. But unfortunately already, the jeep they were chasing stands empty nearby. A Cobra Hydrofoil is racing away oh. into, the, into the waters. Get your fins on, the... Torpedo! <laughs> <laughs> In the back, they can see a shock of pink hair and Zorana giving them the finger. <laughs> <laughs> We're too late, says Scoop. Just like we planned, Chuckles says. What? Scoop. We want to call to get that intel. You'll know what they'll do next based on that false intelligence we've leaked now. And we'll be there to stop them. Before we pat ourselves on the backs too hard, we've got to get out of here ourselves before the soldiers catch up, he says. Roll out. In the distance, the hydrofoil jets off into the rising sun. The end. Ah, in true special missions style. I loved it, man. Awesome. The reader or listener in this case doesn't have all the cards. Hmm. Yes. That, and also I liked it because it kind of felt like um, We're Eagles Dare as well. Mm -hmm. Where like the, the main character, he this, is, this mission has been planned for months. And the cool thing is that like... You could even speculate, was the coup even, I mean, was that even instigated by the U.S. government to actually create this entire situation? 
Can I add some postscript? Please do. So like in the, the closing scene, the hard foil goes away and the Joes know they've uh, they've played the Cobras once again. And you have Scoop. And all of a sudden he looks down while everybody's chatting and he goes, uh, guys, I forgot to take off the lens cap. And it goes to an 80s freeze frame where they're all pointing at him and smiling. <laughs> while the tank rumbles closer. <laughs> and yes. le- levels the tank tar- is still tar- tied tar- up in traffic, brother. Those streets are narrow. <laughs> neep, neep. Yeah, look, the Joes aren't out of the woods man. yet, man. How the hell did they get out of there? Yeah, well, to be continued. Um, and then the next episode. Too. What yeah. was the first chapter called <laughs> of your story? I actually didn't come up with a name, weirdly enough. A title? False what flag. would you guys suggest? <laughs> oh, false flag. <laughs> you could have some cool names. False flag. The Buns of false. Navarone. It's got a Mediterranean setting. I don't know. You you said uh, where eagles dare, and I thought, uh, well, I just thought of another World War Two flick, but set yes, on the, guns on of the med. Yeah, yeah, but uh, where where Chuckles is involved, it's more like the Buns. Oh, nice. Or or the the guns of Navarone and you just have his bicep uh, <laughs> sticking out of his Hawaiian shirt. Nice. Yeah, I should actually have had him sitting on top of the tomahawk on the oh, way to course. the mission. But J- jump starting the rotors. Yeah. <laughs> Riding a missile. Well, cool. I'm glad you guys like it. It's very short. Like I I, just, I threw it together and I was like, this is kind of cool. You're a pioneer. It, it was, so it was in line time. with the the comics. Oh, I, I think, think it's great. Give me more time. Maybe I'll I'll do a whole bunch of these. I'll make like I don't know. <laughs> Depending I on mean, how you maybe, you're maybe you can give us one decision every podcast. It can be ongoing. I think that's kind of cool. Just keep keep it going. Like yeah. what was that intel? Like, and, and what we have to keep track of people who get killed along the way, so the other yes. characters can have reflective moments later. Yeah, it'll be a new segment in every every episode. One of the things that I'm uh, interested to see is after all of this, once uh, the three of us have delivered our special missions, um, I'd like to see how much similarity there is in terms of thinking, in terms of the story crafting, in terms of characters used, that kind of thing. Without saying anything, I mean, certain elements of what Rob's just done could segue into what I'm doing. Which is kind of cool, <laughs> actually. But well, do you, you want know, to do that, or shall take I take it or leave it? I think. Uh, I think, Steve, you go next. Not because <laughs> I think mine's great or anything. I'm just, yeah, I'm also just building Paul's up my just my doing the here. finishing touches. He's just doing yeah. the finishing touches. Well then, without further ado. Uh, I'll launch into a quick uh, preamble. Now, when we did our special missions uh, reviews in episode 61. I found four things that every good special missions issue should have. The first is obviously technical accuracy. Larry Harmer used those splinter comic books to really flex what he knew about military doctrine and procedures and weapons and equipment, which is why special missions sometimes erred on the side of very wordy because there was a lot of writing around politics, around equipment, around procedures, around military doctrine of the time. All these elements kind of wove together to make a very realistic story, and it resonated with the the then aging uh, fan base of G.I. Joe. So that's ingredient number one. Ingredient number two is that special missions typically had a kind of a message or a parable that it, it had by its conclusion. You know, typically it wasn't as clear cut as good triumphs evil. 
sometimes evil does triumph, but good will hold the moral high ground in one or other ways and, and will come back. Like, there will always be an eventual triumph over evil. That's obviously the most simplistic message I could think of off the top of my head. But very often it was speaking about how soldiers do their duty even when it flies in the face of their superiors. That was a huge uh, thread that, that special missions tried to pull. And there were other messages as well, like, uh, you know, uh, looking out for the little guy in, in, in political situations, which typically only ever involved the superpowers. Uh, sometimes special missions gave a focus to an African nation, like in issue 10, which I actually thought was with the weakest of the lot. But anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. The third uh, necessary ingredient is that special missions often had a twist. Like we saw with Rob's, uh, Rob's fiction, we didn't know as the reader what was going on up until the very end. Uh, Chuckles was holding back on some key information, even from his own personnel. So the twist sometimes not only catches out uh, the reader, but the Joes themselves. So I think some of the best special missions had the Joes having to improvise in a situation that they could not have anticipated. Um, so that always made for an interesting read. And then finally, the best special missions issues had a bittersweet conclusion. The good guys don't always get it their way. They're able to pull some kind of victory out of it, but not the one that they had hoped for. They found their way to a consolation of sorts. It wasn't as clear-cut as some of the issues of the main line. And that always made for an interesting read and an unpredictable read. So, without further ado, my issue is called Armageddon Chess. Now, uh, this is a real term, in fact. Mm. Are you familiar with it, Kuja? Oh, no, I'm just uh, intrigued by the title. Mm. Well, well, you should be. Armageddon Chess is a term in the chess world which refers to uh, if the game ends in a tie, which apparently happens in chess. Uh, I, I've never known of chess games ending in ties, really, do they? But if it does end in tie, black automatically wins. So I the odds, about that rule. The odds are stacked against white in that instance. And the reason for the chess angle is because the protagonist of this issue is in fact a chess master. He goes by the name Countdown, G.I. Joe's premier astronaut, as far as I'm concerned. Awesome, and originating from India. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and my buddy L were merciless <laughs> at picking on that action figure's ethnicity. I don't think he looks particularly Indian, but uh, whatever. So this already is an unconventional special missions issue because it takes place in space. Uh, the G.I. Joe line did dabble with space, and and you might say to its detriment. Paul, you like to say the words, uh, a toy line goes into space to die. To die, but There are yeah. some very memorable toys and very underutilized toys that sprang from G.I. Joe's space era. And I decided that we're better to showcase them than in special missions, because it's one of those things that you can choose to ignore if you want to. It's a one-shot issue. So only one month of, of damage, and then, hey, next month you've got another story to look forward to. <laughs> I look forward to the sci-fi angle. 
Yeah, initially I wanted to do an issue that would have the same feel as uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. So it's <laughs> essentially a silent issue in space. But that is not true to the style of special missions. So I went with a far more conventional and probably very wordy special missions with lots of techno babble thrown in. I'm going we to. We wouldn't have it any other way, Stephen. Well, for the sake of brevity, I'm going to excise all of that and just just run through the main plot points so you guys can uh, help me decide how this adventure wraps up. We start with a stricken, defiant. So, sorry to like mess your flow, but I just got to drop this in here. I'm like, you've got this whole 2001 Space Odyssey thing going. And I'm just thinking the Martian, I'm just thinking of it, of Countdown. He's like, I'm going to science the shit out of this. <laughs> I'm sorry. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Come now, spaceship, make a plan. Okay, so Alistair, Robert, and Paul, and me. merciless about my favorite astronaut, you bastards. Countdown is the, is the business. Let's not fuck around. So anyway, you do your thing. Yeah, kiss my ass. Sorry. <laughs> so um, we open, boom, in space, with a stricken, defiant, listing, careening through space. It's been completely evacuated of all personnel. There's been faults of every kind, environmental systems crashing, automated life support systems crashing, main computers, everything. Like, for some reason, the ship is adrift with no personnel on it. They've evacuated, they punched out in an escape pod. Okay, I'm going to get a little bit uh, creative licensee with the interior of the Defiant or the launch complex portion, the booster portion that forms the space station, because in reality, the scaling of that thing would be upsized. So anyways, it's a more substantial G.I. Joe orbital base. So the Crusader has been launched with Countdown, Space Shot, and Robo Joe on board to try and see what they can do to salvage, save, or ultimately ensure that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands and be responsible for destroying the Defiant if needs be. So they're sent on this rather desperate and very, very precious mission. Because, I mean, let's face it, in G.I. Joe's arsenal, nothing could be more expensive and more valuable than a space station. So this is a high-priority mission. And they're sent in with very little prep time. But off they go. They manage to make contact with the Defiant. Countdown performs an EVA, gets on board, and restores power. He begins to reboot the systems and get them back online to try and assess the damage and see how salvageable the Defiant space station is. It's about at that time that the Russians show up. I mean, come on, what special mission would be complete without the Russians? The October Guard arrive in their space shuttle to offer assistance, I just did air quotes, and without the Americans' approval, they conduct their own EVA to try and gain access to the G.I. Joe space station. And the members doing the EVA are obviously <laughs> Red Star, the leader of the then October Guard, Dana, and... Dragonovsky, 
leaving Lieutenant Gorky and Sergeant Misha on board their shuttle. So now we have our first decision-making time. Do you A, allow them to board, or do you B, deny them access? I think you got to ask if they smuggled any vodka on board. And if they have any of that and will bring it with them, then they're they're welcome. Oh, how friendly are American and Russian politics in, in your story? Since we are in the late 80s, early 90s, we are full-time into uh, detente. Oh, no. Well, it's beyond that. It's gla- What's it? Glasnost? I don't know. I mean, the, the, the Soviet Union is on the verge of collapse. Okay, so, like, the Cold War is essentially kind of coming to an end officially. That kind of that kind of period. Oh no, that's early nineties. Okay. Mm. Yeah, the cold Winter, the cold war. Winter is coming, brother. Winter but, is coming. But let me remind you, even with the Soviet Union on the verge of collapse, you do not want uh, any splinters of that regime gaining technological superiority. And the defiant, that's a pretty big linchpin. So for the Russians to be able to put this mission together, and, and of course we don't know whose allegiances the uh, October Guard honor. These guys are possibly the real true believers, the, the the backbone of the former Soviet Union. We don't know. We don't know what their what their motivations are. They just are. They 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 come bearing the claim that they are coming in to assist the uh, American rescue operation. Okay. May I interject some possible uh, context for the decision? Do it, buddy. Do it. If you're going to evoke 2001, I'll evoke 2010. In that in that way, uh, the, both the U.S. USSR and the, the Americans are teaming up at, on a space station, uh, much like this one. And being the scientific minded, or maybe when you're in space looking at Earth, you're not you're not as quick to adhere to your nationalism because you're part of the Brotherhood of Man. So I think you got to take that into consideration. The, the October Guard may be just as an awe of the stage. So, so maybe they want to be humans to humans. Hmm. I like it. And I do think Countdown uh, would probably want to see what Red Star's chess game is like. So I nice. take it, Cujo, you are definitely on board with uh, allowing our, our Russian friends on board the station and seeing if they can be of any assistance in getting it back online. Well, as an ambassador, I, I love Mother Russia. The, the, to, I love Tetris and, and vodka, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's have another opinion. I know what mine is, but I'm I'm worried that Rob might switch around. So Rob, whatever yours is, try not to change it. <laughs> not that you do that, but that's, no. That's, the rationale behind my decision is that Countdown, being a primarily space-based operative, tends to stay away from Earthbound politics. So he is not as in touch with what's going on on the ground as uh, other Joes might be, um, even uh, just consciously or subconsciously. So I think he feels uh, that whatever threat the October Guard can deliver, I think he feels that he's got his space feet firmly secured and that he could defend any situation that goes his way because everything's going tits up anyway. So I think he lets them in because he's, he's kind of relieved that there's somebody else to share his misery, you know. So <laughs> you will die with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. strangely enough, yeah, it's a unanimous A because originally I was thinking don't let them in, but then Kuja kind of swung me in the direction of yeah, let them in. We're all people. Cheers, We're just people up here. Nice, nice. Okay. So we letting them in. Oh God. <laughs> We're letting the Russians inside. 
No sooner do they board the defiant space station successfully, three nimble Cobra stellar stilettos appear. They quickly open fire on the G.I. Joe Crusader and the Russian shuttle. And as one would in a situation like this where lives are very quickly in jeopardy, the shuttles do the smart thing and withdraw as quickly as possible. The Russians on board the Defiant and Countdown are now alone on a listing space station encircled by three Cobra attack craft. It's evident that the Cobra Stellar Stilettos are not designed for boarding, so they're obviously waiting for a larger Cobra shuttle to arrive. Yeah, they go. Is this a is this a deduction it. made by the crew on board the Defiant? I think it's pretty evident that Cobra want the Defiant, the Defiant okay. for themselves, and yes, okay. it is logical to assume that they're preparing a boarding party of their own. But they were needed to establish space superiority first, and with three is... stellar stilettos now patrolling the immediate vicinity, they have firmly established that superiority. Does this tale take place before the demise of Star Viper? Is he in one of the crafts? The Stellar Stilettos are piloted by a Star Viper each. I suppose this is after the demise of the the single... No, 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 wait. Star Viper, yeah, Star Viper died at the end of Special Missions. Did he... Okay, so he's still, he's still in play. He's still on the chessboard, if you will. Quite possibly. Okay, okay. He might be... In, in fact, yes, let's... For argument's sake, and I did not think of this, but yeah, let's say that the Star Viper is in command of this uh, trio of fighters, and his two subordinates, also Star Vipers, and basically engineered for space combat. Star Viper infiltrated the pit too, single-handedly, by hanging onto the bottom of a Desert Fox six-wheel drive. Yeah, ninja. So. The Joes and the Russians are on board the space station, surrounded by Cobra craft. Do you A, devise a plan to counterattack, or B, wait for the Cobra shuttle to arrive? What would that counterattack be? Are you setting up positions, or...? The defense systems of the Defiant are largely inoperable. Even with the four of them working as furiously as they can, there's no guarantee that they'd be able to get anything functioning to adequately repel three Cobra attack craft and the potential shuttle that could arrive at any moment. Okay, does, it, does anybody want to give a little bit of context to uh, the, the meet and greet when the October Guard steps aboard the... Uh, well, I'll tell you, you this know. much, they did arrive armed. Okay, so, so we're looking mm. at a gunslinger in a confined area, and they're basically both stating that they're there trying to figure out what happened. Dana is the team sniper, and she has a high-powered laser rifle in her possession. Uh-huh. Of course, Countdown doesn't like the look of that, but in their present situation, it could come in handy. So, I ask again, gents, do you do nothing and wait for the Cobra shuttle to arrive before making some uh, attempt at uh, salvaging the situation, or do you attempt a counterattack now? I, I think they I'm should gonna... learn it, yeah. James yeah, Bond I, shit out of there. <laughs> I was I was gonna go with option B. You know, option B like uh, lay in wait, 
but play it up a little bit. So you're playing dead, but you try to fire off a shot or two to try and make it look like it was a desperate last attempt at defending yourself. But then essentially you go cold and you wait for the enemy to approach so you can get in there. But that's that's how I see it. I'm not sure if that fits our scenario. For the high-powered laser sniper rifle to be in play, Dana would have to perform an extra vehicular activity. We would have to have her leave the airlock and try and take shots at the stellar stilettos. Oh, wow, there's <laughs> lots of maths involved there. <laughs> there is. There's a lot of moving parts to this scenario. They do check the view screens and notice that the stilettos are holding their position. Okay, so we basically have a standoff outside of a standoff. I say again, gents, do you lie in wait for the Cobra shuttle, if there is one, to arrive? Or do you attempt some counterattack now? Bearing in mind, the Russians might decide to do their own thing anyway. But as Countdown and the supposed commander of the situation currently, what do you compel them to do? Well, I, I, well I, I'm going to decide first. I'm going to go with option, option B, wait. Because their only option is to wait for the shuttle, I think. It's for them to actually even escape this thing. It looks very unlikely that Countdown's going to be able to salvage the Defiant. So you could pull kind of like Captain Kirk and do the uh, self-destruct sequence on it. Mock! <laughs> Don't do! That's, that's the right call. I, yeah, I, that's the one I'm going with. What do you guys say? Yeah, I, I played as uh, Countdown uh, you know, is involved in a tense uh, steering competition and uh, tells them that if they open fire now, they're as good as dead and that they should wait. And his major battle right now is to convince the Russians that the inaction is possibly the best action. I love the intelligence being thrown around right now. I'm going to I'm gonna go with Paul's notion, uh, whichever one he picked, the kind of wait, because just if you're, if you're following American policy, you don't get into a war that you can lose. So I'm pretty sure Countdown's probably going to convince people that it's probably the best option to see how things develop. But... Have your hand on the kill switch just in case they board and overtake you. Mm-hmm. Yep. With the uh, amount of manpower I suppose he has at his disposal, I mean, he's got basically three disposable troops uh, that he can use to repel borders while he's waiting in the command center with his hand on the, the self-destruct button. I mean, <laughs> we assume that all spacecraft have self-destruct buttons. <laughs> who, who builds something with the thought that you're going to blow it up? We have Star Trek to thank for that. Build the G.I. Joe specs. You don't ever build something that you can't blow up automatically. <laughs> yeah. What's the lady on the October Guard's name again? Dana. I'm seeing a scene where they're kind of taking defensive positions inside of a zero-G cockpit. Mm-hmm. And Dana pulls out a flask and just kind of like lets it drift over to a countdown. And he takes a hit and he's like, cheers. If they're going to go, they're going to go together. Nice. What do Russians say when they knock a few drinks back? Das Vidanya, brother. <laughs> All right, so they wait and they wait and they wait. They wait for the shuttle to arrive to repel the borders eventually this Cobra reinforcement arrives. They come through the airlock. Only two Cobra Nauts form the boarding party because obviously in space numbers are kept to a minimum. I'm feeling a new hope on this one. <laughs> yeah man. Though with less uh, 
violence on the airlock itself. I mean, Cobra <laughs> wants to take the uh, Defiant intact, so they okay. dock, the correct procedures are followed, and the doors open. The combined force of the October Guard and Countdown managed to overpower the Cobranauts that are boarding the Defiant, expecting a stricken and badly damaged ship, not expecting three hardened October Guard members who would fight to the death against That's them. right. The October Guard and Countdown managed to overpower the Cobra forces and board their shuttle. Of course, now they're faced with a terrifying situation. The Stellar Stilettos aren't going to let this pass, and in terms of Cobra's beliefs, they'd sooner destroy the shuttle with all hands on board and the G.I. Joe Defiant so that Cobra can salvage some kind of victory. Just then, Robo Joe streaks in in the Avenger shuttle and takes out one of the stilettos. The October Guard quickly make use of the Cobra shuttle's weapon systems to destroy the second stiletto which allows Robo Joe to get the jump on the third and he blows it to pieces. Leaving us with our final standoff. And this one, I'm gonna turn the tables and you guys are gonna decide what the Russians decide to do. Of course, they want the Cobra shuttle and they want the Defiant. Their true motives were always to learn the Americans' technological secrets for themselves and secure whatever they could themselves. Does the October God take the Cobra shuttle and use it to leave? Or do they overpower Countdown, reboard the Defiant and start stripping it for all it's worth? Red Star's the leader, right? Mm-hmm. I believe this decision goes all the way back to when Red Star was in the academy with uh, a young soldier named Putin. And uh, <laughs> they had a conversation where Putin said, when you can get the advantage, you take it without hesitation. I believe those words are still rattling around in uh, Red Star's head. And he turns the revolver on Countdown, tells him to put his, his, his helmet back on because he's about to uh, step out the airlock. Spacewalk. Excellent. So Dana turns her high-powered laser rifle on the Avenger shuttlecraft, taking out Robo-Joe, and Countdown is left alone in the cold, dark void of space. Wait, is, is Robo-Joe dead, or is he just down for the count? I imagine they would want to take out the aggressor craft, so the October God kill Countdown and destroy Robo-Joe. My god, it's dark. It is pretty dark. Wow. I did not expect that at <laughs> all. <laughs> wow. I mean, that I didn't even script that last bit. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's crazy. Red Star is one badass dude. For Russia. That's if the other guys choose that decision. We just peeked at the page. Oh, we shit. just looked ahead. <laughs> oh, that's so now we know. Steve's still the DM. He can decide if that's how it goes. That's true. Regardless. That's true. Well, you guys I mean, haven't decided though. Oh man, I totally fucked that up. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. Big time. No, that's no, the I, beauty I, of this is that it's organic. Okay, well, okay. The way Kujo would see it play out, he would take the ruthless approach. Obviously, in his mind. Red Star is the surviving distillation of Mother Russia and the Soviet superiority. Is this the final decision in this chapter? Correct. Can I do a countdown quick epilogue? Or, or Robo Joe? Yeah, sure. Hit it, man. As Robo Joe drifts in the blackness and starts to fade away, 
he he wonders how he became this hideous cyborg of a figure. And, and uh, just as he's ready to shut his eyes <laughs> for the how, final time. And how the hell he managed to fit inside the Avengers shuttlecraft anyway. Yeah, without, uh, yeah, without an O-ring. <laughs> so, oh, I yeah. like this end. This is really dark. I think it's we his should final it. thoughts. His final thoughts. Um, I, I, I think Robert Joe's final thoughts before he got shot is he's flying in space and he's like, I'm more than just a man. I've got a secret. <laughs> I've got a secret. Parts made in Japan. I've got... Oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I couldn't help it. For me... I'm invincible. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of see it play out in that Red Star having dealt with the Joes before. Um, it hasn't got a soft spot for them, but having been pulled out the shit by the Joes at one or two points in his history, he doesn't feel that throwing Countdown out and completely eliminating him off the board, so to speak, chess analogy. Um, so instead, what he does is he uh, has the October Guard remove his breathing apparatus so that he can't leave the spaceship and um, essentially has him checkmated by having him stowed in the cargo hold to grab some kind of intelligence from him. Mm, a G.I. Joe astronaut is a pretty high-value target. Especially if you're clamoring for intelligence, it's somebody you would want to keep around, uh, especially because you'd want to know how that stuff all goes together. That would be, like at least for me, how Red Star would checkmate the situation, as opposed to just clearing the board. <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion that'll be the dissenting opinion. Since Rob <laughs> likes Rob likes the dark option a little too much, well, right? The, yeah, no, the dark option is cool, but you could also have a situation where, yeah, you 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 basically push him out. They can kill everyone, or they can make a situation where Robert Joe is forced to choose between ensuring the destruction of the Defiant or saving Countdown. So, like, they push Countdown out the airlock without his helmet, so he's slowly suffocating in space. But he knows you know, you don't die instantly in the cold of space. Robert Joe has to rush to save him and get him to safety and leaving the Russians to claim the Defiant. Here's where I need to invoke some toy limitations. The Avenger shuttlecraft is designed as an attack craft and only seats or stows Ooh. one figure, one character. Lifeboat. Well, then there, Robert Joe has to choose between his own life and saving his Indian compatriot. <laughs> Well, well, I mean, the thing is, you can get him inside the Avenger, and eventually there's an environment in there, or not? It's basically a reuse of the Night Raven's scout drone. Ah. So it's that okay. little thing that the guy lies down. It's basically something that goes inside the, the hold of the Crusader shuttle. Okay, well, then no, I'm, I'm sticking with the dark one. <laughs> Red Star's like, yeah. <laughs> so long, G.I. Joe. Joe could accept that the Defiant has been compromised and self-detonated remotely. <laughs> because most space shuttles nice. are, can be controlled remotely. In fact, all spaceships or space shuttles can be controlled remotely in case of... Ah, uh, but Paul, the Defiant is stricken. Its systems yes. haven't rebooted properly. Well, the ability yeah. to self-destruct it remotely has well, not been on the well, table. Well, that's why I put it out there, so we no, could like. It's a good it. suggestion, but I think I think in this scenario that you guys have authored, I was not responsible for <laughs> finding ourselves in this situation. The Russians win, which is something that special missions never really did. 
they were always the fall guys to G.I. Joe. Either G.I. Joe won, or nobody won. So in this situation, it's hell of a dark, because it deals with the death of not one, but two Joes, and they lose the Defiant. But, as I say, it's the ending you wanted, guys. Damn, and I didn't get to tell my parable at the end. <laughs> well, you, you set a table. What was the parable? We will never know. Oh, my God. Yeah, just leave you in suspense. One of the shuttles got destroyed, didn't it? The Cobra Craft? The Cobra Craft is intact, and that's how the Russians will escape after they've pilfered the Defiant adequately. Bearing in mind, they need to keep a time frame, because, you know, if you're up there too long, it's possible that the Americans could launch another shuttlecraft. But, of course, the time frame for that, I mean... I'm sure you guys can appreciate that uh, you can't move too quickly when it comes to space travel. I feel like we should stick a finger in this one and uh, let it ride for another session where Stephen can continue it. I was actually going to say, um, I think our listeners should get involved here. And maybe if they ask us really, really, really nicely by sending us uh, PMs on Facebook or posting on our wall, maybe Stephen will reprise the the scenario, or at least uh, share the outtakes, or maybe transcript the well, uh, outtakes on Facebook. It's the Kobayashi Maru, guys. It's uh, it's Armageddon chess. If it ends in a tie, black will win. Well, also, sure. Twitter has those polls. You, you could make a poll if you wanted to. That I feels think right. it was great, though. Very nicely done, Steve. I was, I was expecting cool stuff from you guys, and wow, so far, like, you guys have made some really cool stuff. <laughs> I'm going to switch the light off again. And I'm going to sit here with my B-Wing. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) With lifelike maintenance sounds. I mean, lasers, Lasers, baby. Yeah. If you guys enjoyed this, I'd be down to, like, do one decision, like, every time we sit down. Or would that become tedious and just become, like... (laughs) Well, we'd do a sort of a modesty blaze, like, recap. Yes. Each time to kind of set the scene, say what's happened before, say what's going to happen, or, well, yeah, and then sort of have the, the three branches, or two branches, the decision. That could be kind of fun. But uh, we're not out of the woods just yet, gents. Can we close out the show? Does anyone have anything oh, they yeah. want to add? Uh, we thank you for choosing this adventure. It's called G.I. Joburg, and it's four guys who get together and podcast about G.I. Joe. I mean, who knew? Guys, my biggest takeaway from from an episode like this is that we are not in each other's physical spaces, so this is a great way for us to play with our Joes without being in each other's physical company. And that extends to you, our dear listeners, that you guys can also whip out your toys, get your kids you know, in front of the... Uh, I don't know, computer or whatever it is you listen to your podcasts on, and uh, relive the adventure. I mean, that's the whole purpose of this. I mean, you know, these adventures that we want to spin, or that I would like to spin as we start going through this, are a little bit more grown up and a little bit more tangible. And if you guys want to sort of keep a G.I. Joburg special missions continuity going, you know, we can we can help you with that. We'll we'll list characters who have died, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We can make it really interesting. You're but, taking up quite a mantle. I, I'd love to do that, but the biggest takeaway here is that uh, everything was great. It was gold. I loved Rob's story. I loved Steve's story. And I loved the... I didn't love Kujo's story. I got a nice one to close us out. 
Yeah, get off the bench and get into the game, man. Who's a Joe T member who uh, never gets used? Give me something. Short fuse. Short fuse is tying his shoelaces, and all of a sudden he sees a Tell Viper running down the street, and you're like, that's kind of random. But the Tell Viper drops his cell phone. So Short Fuse walks over, kind of checks his surroundings. Could be a trap, but he's just the sort of guy to spring it. So he picks it up, and uh, he looks at it, and it's open to a podcast app. And there's a, a G.I. Joeberg episode waiting to be played. Do you hit the play button? That's the decision, brother. Say yes. <laughs> you hit that play button. And that's I right. think that's a very, very good note to leave it on. Agreed. Hit that play button, everybody. Do it. <laughs> you've you've already done it because you're hearing this right it, now. It could be it could be your demise, but you know. Choose your own adventure. I mean, I'd love to go into space with a Defiant, but uh, no one's gotten me one just yet. I do, however, have a B-wing, and I'm ready to take it out on a little night flight. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> This is Steven from G.I. Joburg saying, choose your own adventure, but first and foremost, choose G.I. Joburg. This is Paul saying, keep the Yojos and the Blitzens to a minimum. This is Rob saying, I hope you sleep well. Keep your fingers in the pages. And be sure to catch us next episode, episode 64, for Cujo and Paul's Choose Your Own Adventures. So long, G.I. Joburgers.